strange stories of peculiar people and extraordinary events throughout history. This is Notorious Narratives. Welcome to Notorious Narratives. I'm Jen. And I'm Robin. And tonight, I'm going to tell you a British story. In Westminster, London, there's a street called Craven Street. This street, which runs from the Strand in the north to Northumberland Avenue in the south. And it has housed a myriad of infamous people throughout history. Herman Melville, author of Moby Dick, once resided there. Aaron Burr, notable for his duel with Alexander Hamilton, Mm. among other things, also once called it home. But perhaps its most famous resident was Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin resided at 36 Craven Street in an elegant four-story townhouse. This was his residence in London during the 20 years before his part in the authoring of the Declaration of Independence. This house, of course, became a historic residence. And like most of Franklin's other homes, this building was destined to become a museum. So in 1998, the conservation and restoration of his Craven Street residence began. But very quickly, this project was interrupted by a startling discovery. In what was the garden and the basement of his home, the conservation team discovered a litany of bones. From a piece of ground measuring one meter by one meter, over 1,200 pieces of bone were discovered. These were found to be the remains of over 100 different bodies. These bone fragments were forensically dated to be from the time that the house was inhabited by none other than Benjamin Franklin. This is the story of the bones in Ben's basement. The bones in Ben's basement. BBB. (laughs) Because the bones were from over a century, they did not require an investigation. There's a certain amount of time in every state, municipality, and country in which the remains are considered to be historic rather than part of an active murder investigation. I mean, consider that these remains were from the 18th century. So, of course, no one involved with any crime that had taken place would be alive or available for prosecution. Therefore, the remains are historic. There are a variety of ways in which this time of dating can be done. They wouldn't be able to contact the next of kin. If you go down to, like, the whole... Probably not. I mean, the amount of genetic testing it would take to find... I know. I know that, but I would just probably think be that, you know, in... Billions of dollars worth, and I'm sure that they're not going to... I just thought that in that area... Spend that money. That whole area is about uh, lineage, you know? Like, you just, you just know everybody, and it's like that entire kind of time was, like, you never... So we'll kind of get into more of who these people okay. probably right. were. Okay. So one way that you can date bones is by using carbon-14 dating. This technique has proved to be accurate for determining the age of ancient artifacts that have a biological origin, such as bones or wood, plant fibers, and they can date things up to 60,000 years old. Like poop. (laughs) Like poop. So essentially when an animal dies, it stops taking in new carbon. The carbon-14 it contains, though, continues to decay while the normal carbon-12 remains the same. Scientists can then compare the ratio of normal carbon, carbon carbon-12, to the radioactive carbon-14 and determine the approximate age of the creature by testing and analyzing its ancient fossilized bones. So that's how they do carbon dating. So enough of that. (laughs) Moving on. I just thought you might find that (laughs) a little interesting. I read so, so much more about it. Um... Because I found it interesting, but I wasn't sure that anyone else would. So, 
We'll get back to the discovery of the bones. We can do a whole episode about Carmen Dana if you want. <laughs> of course, the discovery of these bones was quite scandalous. I mean, what's the story here? Was Ben Franklin a serial killer? I mean, Franklin was a noted revolutionary and a powerful Freemason. In fact, he was the Grand Master of Pennsylvania. Yeah, they said that he was involved in Illuminati. So why is it that his London home is full of bodies? For what sinister and dark purpose, what ritual could these bones have been necessary for? The bones were found not only in the garden, but also in the basement. And they belonged to many different people, including six children. And also the bones of animals were discovered. So let's think about the time that we're talking about. There was a lot going on in terms of society. So this is a burgeoning age of enlightenment where science, travel, manufacturing, art, and literature are all showing rapid advancement. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the most humane reason that Benjamin Franklin did what he, like, why he would have all these bones in his yard or his basement. Probably not going to get this, but the first thing that popped in my head was that he maybe catered to those that couldn't afford or do a burial service. So he offered his home as a service to sort of pay your respects. And then instead of paying for land at a cemetery to bury the bones, he offered his yard and his home in exchange for anything because he was such a well-known that's what that's that's my guess no okay all right i'm, I'm done all, all right, right. Good. thank you thank you for giving me that time <laughs> originally he had come to london as the representative of the assembly of pennsylvania but his reputation was founded on something else entirely franklin was one of the most famous scientists in the world and worked closely with all of the top intellectuals of the all day. right i have another theory but i won't say anything okay <laughs> stop trying to guess <laughs> Like, that's like the worst possible thing you could do. Because if you're right, I can't tell you. If you're wrong, I'm going to tell you. No. Don't guess. If I'm right, you can be like, no, that's not correct. And then just fake me out. But but why would I do that? Like, I can't tell you you're... It'll keep, it will drive me crazy, which is what you enjoy. I, it's literally four pages. <laughs> literally. You're going to have the answer in like three paragraphs. Three paragraphs. I think I, I, think I have it already. Okay. Do you just want to tell me? No. So Ben Franklin initially visited London as a teenage printer in the mid-1720s and stayed for about 18 months. He then returned in 1757. At that time, he was the most famous American in the world. His groundbreaking electrical experiments gave him greater political access at a time when the dominant British aristocracy were gripped by the scientific craze. The human remains that were discovered showed signs of dissection, Deep marks upon bones that look to have been created by surgical instruments. In one example, the femur appears to have been cut cleanly off, probably some form of amputation. Many of the skull fragments showed evidence of being drilled into. Dozens of small circles piercing through the bone. This was probably from the process of trepanning, or trepanning, which was primarily used to relieve pressure in the brain. Knowing that surgical procedures were in their infancy at the time meant that each operation stood very little chance of being successful. The procedures themselves were dangerous, 
not to mention the blood loss, the infection, the lack of anesthesia, because anesthesia was not invented until 1846. So how do they knock them out? Just give them whiskey and have a good day? (laughs) Yeah. So what in the world was going on inside this house? Remember, Franklin is one of the most renowned scientists of his day, but is not known to have ever been involved in any medical or surgical studies. So what's he up to in there? Well, to understand that, you're going to have to look at what was going on on Craven Street at the time and get to know the people who are closest to Ben. During his years in London, Franklin had developed an extremely strong and close relationship with his widowed landlady, Margaret Stevenson. Of course he did. And was like a father figure to her daughter, Polly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They rapidly became his second family, with their home becoming his own household and with Mrs. Stevenson managing it for him. Polly was married to a man named William Hewson. Hewson was an anatomist, physiologist, and surgeon. He studied in Edinburgh under the famous anatomist William Hunter. Hewson was best known for his research on blood and the lymphatic system. He is often referred to as the father of hematology. He identified the key protein in the blood clotting process known as fibrinogen. Wow. Hewson worked with his mentor for a bit, but after a falling out, headed out to establish his own anatomy school. In Georgian England, the practice of anatomic study became increasingly popular. Mm -hmm. Limited hospital teaching left a gap filled by private schools, like that that Hewson had created. Yeah, okay. They also satisfied a growing interest in public health, and talks by experts were financially successful. So we have an anatomist looking to set up a school. His mother-in-law conveniently owns a large building that's also conveniently located next to a wharf, and is very close to the gallows. A perfect location to set up a private anatomy school. And that is exactly what he did. And Benjamin has a very close relationship with people that he's living with or um, next to, right? Well, they're... I don't think they live there, but I think that she owns the building. Yeah, so... So... If there's any... You uh, might ask. Like, kind of turn the cheek, turn, turn the other way, look away. yeah. So you might ask, why does it matter that he's close to the gallows and close to the wharf? Uh. Well, these types of anatomy schools weren't exactly legal. The practice of dissection was not fully legal until 1832. So it is likely that some of Hewson's cadavers came from the so-called resurrectionists, who were body snatchers that shipped their wares along the Thames under the cover of night. So a school near a wharf was ideal. So even people in the gallows... They were able to... Well, the other option for acquiring specimens was to procure that of a hanged prisoner. Mm, yeah. So proximity to the gallows was important. Since in 1752, the passing of the Murder Act allowed that anyone who was punished for murder by hanging could then be anatomized. Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, we talked about that in yeah. a lot of other episodes. Um, right. Oh, wow. But this is also a time of the bloody code that had hundreds of crimes that were punishable by death. And not just death, but following their execution, the convict would then be sent for dissection at anatomy schools or handed over to the local sheriff to be gibbeted. I don't know how I, f- I don't know how I feel about that. It's not awesome. <sighs> like, you could be put to death for stealing a loaf of bread. 
and then your body gets cut up afterwards. Or it gets this other thing done to it called being gibbeted, which is, if you're interested, is the hanging of the corpse in the air about 30 feet where it remained on display for years as it decayed. Mm. So Craven Street was the perfect location. His mother-in-law's house, lived in by a trusted family friend who was also of a keen and curious scientific mind. So it was here that Hewson set up shop. He utilized the bodies of animals, hanged criminals, and stolen corpses to instruct future anatomists and surgeons of the day on procedures such as amputation and trepanation that were both incredibly necessary in the burgeoning surgical profession. Is there a difference with amputation and having the result that you need an amputation for the living being performed on the dead? Huh? I mean, the difference between a dead body and a living body would be that there would be... Flowing blood. Blood, pumping, flowing blood. Yeah. But all the vasculature and the muscles would still be the I same. I think that's what my, my mind was talking about with is, um, you know, you can you can teach someone how to amputate on a cadaver, but the realization of doing it in life at that moment is completely different. I mean, that's true of absolutely everything in the medical field, even today. So when he was done with them, Hewson simply buried whatever was left of the bodies in the basement rather than sneaking them out for disposal elsewhere and risk getting caught and prosecuted for dissection and grave robbing. But this type of study was not without its pitfalls. Besides the legal ramifications, there were also safety concerns. And during a dissection in 1774, Hewson contracted septicemia and died at the age of 34. Wow. As Franklin wrote to his wife, Deborah, our family here is in great distress. Poor Miss Hewson has lost her husband and Mrs. Stevenson, her son-in-law. He died last Sunday morning of a fever, which baffled the skill of our best physicians. He was an excellent young man, ingenious, industrious, useful, and beloved by all that knew him. She is left with two young children and a third soon expected. He was just established in a profitable growing business with the prospects of bringing up his young family advantageously. Polly would eventually move with her children to Philadelphia to be closer to Franklin after the close of the Revolutionary War. He died of a fever? Yeah. Well, he died of... He became septic. Mm, okay. I was like, did he catch something So he probably cut himself with one of the mm, yeah. instruments. Yeah. So this story, like so many, sounds sensational. But just like most stories, there is a reasonable and logical explanation. But Franklin was a pivotal character not only in the creation of America and science in America, but also in the field of surgery and anatomy in England. While it is not known for sure if Franklin was ever directly involved with the school and the dissections, it seems unlikely that a man like Ben Franklin, known to have been invariably curious, would have allowed such an undertaking to go on in his home without at least peeking in from time to time. And that is the story of The Bones in Ben's Basement, just another notorious narrative. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, there are a couple of things that you can do to help us out. You can leave a positive review wherever you're listening now. You can also go to patreon.com forward slash notorious narratives, where you can access content that is exclusive for our patrons. And remember, keep it weird and never stop exploring.